0: With everyone in this world, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? I want to get into a sermon tonight to kick off a little bit of a mini series, if you will, that I'm titling just a pure series. And the Bible tells us in Psalm twelve six and seven, it says that it says the words of the Lord are pure words, right? Pure, the silver tried in the furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now we're using these two verses to spring into this series, uh, this pure series. And uh, we we'll are get into uh, our first installment here in just mere moments, if you will. Um, but, but the things that we learn from these two verses here... Is number one the Word of God is pure okay the Word of God is a pure word our Bible that we have that has been given to us is pure the, the AV is the seventh work of God's purification process now when somebody says purification they think well what impurities was removed uh, when you purify silver the Bible saying as silver trying the furnace of earth seven times you're not adding more silver to the vat. You're just taking the dross out of it so the existing silver can be seen more clearly. Amen? And so we know this tonight about the Word of God, that it is pure. But I want you to understand and then take note, and it's not necessarily uh, what our sermon is about, the them. But verse, 10, verse 7 tells us whose responsibility it is to keep the Word, to guard it, to protect it. It's God's. The Bible tells us, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Amen? Now, we've got a lot of people in our world today who love to criticize and argue and, and think they can do a better job on God's word. And they do it left and right, and they tear it down, they misalign it, they malalign it, they pervert it, if you will. And they do all these different things. And at the end of the day, it's not even our job. It's God's job. To keep His word, it's His. He's going to see fit that we have His word in here to guide us in the direction of salvation, to keep us walking right, living right, talking right, and tonight, as we're going to see, to worship right. Amen. So, I want to get into our first point about pure worship this evening. We're going to go back to the book of James. I know we're having a uh, doing a little bit of a turnaround from the sermon and uh, from this summer. I uh, I I don't I don't know why I spent so much time in in James this last summer, uh, but but I did, and so we're going to go back there for a couple weeks as we look into this series of Pure. So tonight I want to speak to you on this subject, Pure Worship. Pure Worship. If we look at James in chapter 1, verses 22 through 27, we're primarily going to focus on the very last verse, but by way of introduction and the setting of the context tonight, we're going to look at the verses prior to that, beginning in verse Verse 22. In verse 22, the Bible says, Wherefore, lay it apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if we be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. If though among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God, and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, And widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, as we understand tonight that God's word is pure, as a matter of fact, it is purified, it is perfect, and it is preserved. I I don't know if, if, if this will translate well enough. But has anybody ever heard of like uh, like strawberry preserves? We ever heard of those before? Uh, It's something I know big in the South, where you know Southerners seem to have a a whole closet full of canned everything you know i mean canned tomatoes can i mean you name it if it's a vegetable or fruit it's going to be in a southerner's house canned somewhere tucked back in the back uh prepared for doomsday i, I don't even know why but it's just something that southerners have always done and uh, they'll go back and they'll get a, a jar of strawberry preserves off of there and and it's delicious it's just like jam that's all it is and and uh, then for some reason they'll work and they'll preserve another one and they'll eat it next year which I, I don't know why you just don't eat it then That's that's just my opinion. But nonetheless, it's called strawberry preserves or it's called apple preserves, whatever it is. And they heat the jar up and the seal, it seals it in perfectly in a perfect little environment and it is preserved. Now guess what happens? When you, you know, like that sound like does it, you know, you pop that sound of that cap and you get into there the strawberry preserves. Hannah, guess what? When they put strawberries in it five years before, they stuck it in that cabinet, when they popped that lid, guess what was in there? was apples. It was strawberries. And that's what preservation is. That's what when we say. God spoke the word of God. He breathed upon these men. They wrote the word of God. And then God's responsibility was to preserve it, to purify it, to make it perfect, and to protect it. And that's what he has done. And we know that to be true tonight. So how does God view, if we look at a pure word, how does God view and define pure religion? Pure religion. Now, personally, and contemporarily speaking, I don't like the word religion. When you hear the word religion in your mind, you think of repetition, and you should. You understand that. But we've had institutions and organizations that are religion without a relationship in Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we can't get away from the word religion. It's in the Bible. The Epistle of James is one of the most practical books ever found in the New Testament. Uh, it, it's in the above verse, in verse 27, James attempts, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to define what pure religion is in the eyes of God. And religion, by definition, is, is just means great devotion of, of faith or practice. Religion here, in the book of James, means the external patterns of behavior connected with religious belief. All right, That's not a bad thing, by the way. can be, but it's not a bad thing. It's referring to our outer expression of belief in worship and in service. and Not the doctrines necessarily taught and believed. Now, your outward worship and service will only be as pure as the doctrines that you are taught and believed. So never forget that. Don't think that you can go without the doctrines and go without the proper teaching of the Word of God and have pure religion over here, much less pure worship. You've got to have both. But what Jesus is talking about in pure religion is based upon worship and service. So if you adhere to a false doctrine, you will not have pure worship, but rather false worship. So religion has to do with our worship manifested in the outward acts of our service. That's what religion, this pure religion, is speaking of. When we speak about worship tonight, pure worship, we have to go back to the law of first mention. The very first place where where worship was mentioned in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, Abraham was taking his son up to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah ended up being Jerusalem, exactly where Jesus Christ was crucified, okay? God said, I'm going to show you where you're going to take him, and you're going to sacrifice him, all right? Now, mind you, Isaac was about a 30-year-old man when they walked up that hillside. And the words here in Genesis 22, where worship shows up the first time, verse 5, says that Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lamb, will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, there's a few things I want you to catch here. We'll talk about it briefly later on, but I want to give a little bit of a foundation. First off, we all know what's getting ready to happen, right? Isaac's getting ready to be sacrificed. God wanted to know whether there was anything between him and Abraham. Now, Isaac, the Bible clearly says, God says it in this chapter, Isaac, thine only son, okay? Somebody's going to say, what about Ishmael? God said, thine only son, okay? And they're just going to leave it right there, all right? Ishmael was not considered to be the son, all right? Isaac, and the blessing was with Isaac. The covenant was with Isaac. And yet we find Abraham says, I am allowed to go yonder, all right? What's the last part? And come again unto you. You see, my friend, as they walked up that hill, Isaac looked around. He's seeing the fire they're carrying with him. He sees the knife, the wood, everything you need, except one thing. Where's the lamb? <laughs> and, and just to paraphrase it and put it in the B.J. version, he says, Hey, Pop, I see the fire, I see the knife, I see the wood. Where's that sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. You see, the t- intent was for, to be Isaac. He built the altar up there, he tied him down, sat him down up on, Isaac was submissive the entire time. Then all of a sudden, God stopped his hand, didn't he? Proven to God. All of a sudden, a ram, all of a sudden, is found caught in a thicket just across the way, and that became the sacrifice. Now, I'm fully convinced tonight that as Abraham and Isaac walked up one side of that hillside, that ram walked up on the other side of the hillside because God is omniscient but also when you look at the words in verse 5 and come again to you Abraham was faithful enough he he believed God enough to know that even if he sacrificed his son he trusted God and believed that the covenant was with Isaac that God would bring him back from the dead and resurrect him and that's why Abraham is a picture of the father and Isaac is a picture of the son and Rebekah is the picture of the church that's what you have Eliezer if you will is the picture of the Holy Spirit who is the servant of the house. I'm saying all that to make this point here tonight. The first time worship shows up in the Bible it's directly associated with sacrifice. It's associated with service. So how can we really worship God through our outward acts? How can pure worship be the outpouring of our genuine faith in God then in an expression how we relate to God and others? Think about it on these terms. When uh, How we think of God, what you and I think of our Lord, is revealed in how we relate to Him. How we relate to God is revealed in His creation, meaning how we relate to our fellow mankind. Stop and think about it. How we love God, how we relate to Him, is reflected in how we treat our fellow human beings. James by inspiration stresses the concern for widows and orphans and keeping oneself clean a true measure of obedience to pleasing to God. Now this is the respons- responsibility that was given to Israel in the New Testament and it reflects the concerns of God himself. But for the church which is different James James leads up to the define, to defining pure religion but before he does so, he rebukes those who are mere hearers of the words. Big talk, little do's is what we call them. He's already rebuked those who are hearers of the word and yet did nothing. We saw this in the, the first few verses here, verses 22 through 25. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. In your in selves. for if ye be a hearer of the word and not a doer, watch this, he's like a man, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgiveth what man of a man he was, but whoso looketh uh, into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. That man that hears the word and does nothing with it, you know, when we talk about looking at that that glass, looking at that mirror is what it is, and beholding himself, and and he's boasting and looking at him, and he's heard the world, but he's not going to do anything with it because he's ungrateful and he's unthankful with what that word has done for him. But he's looking at himself in his new state. And he forgets what where he came from. He forgets the the maybe the pig slop that God pulled him out of. He forgets all the blessings that God had done for him, but he's sitting there looking at himself, how clean-cut he is, how nice he is, and all this. Now, now, what after God has taken care of him? I don't know about you, but I... Um, when I was a little kid, I grew up watching the Smurfs. Do you guys remember the Smurfs, the blue things? What was the one's name that always looked at himself, in, the narcissist one? I forgot his name. I wish I would remembered his name. It just popped in my head. Now, this is how my brain works, guys. Welcome to this world. But, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, when I read that verse about looking at his, beholding himself in, in, a, in a glass, uh, in, in that mirror, you know, I think about that little Smurf that was always looking at himself. He was always distracted from doing everything. He didn't do anything but stare at himself. And I think it speaks pretty highly of what this guy's doing. See, James not only rebukes those who heard the word and did nothing, he also rebukes those who do something, but they don't have an inward conversion. In verses 26 and 27, it says, If any man uh, among you be uh, sorry, seen to be religious and blighted not his tongue, but the seed of his own heart, this man's religion is vain, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows and their affliction, And to keep himself in spot of the world. Those are the ones guys who they're doing something, but they think they're working themselves to heaven. They think they're doing these great wonderful works, but and that's what's going to get them to heaven, it's not going to get them to heaven. There's only one work that's going to get you to heaven, and that work was performed on the finished work of the cross of Christ, amen. And it's not ours. So keeping up with his emphasis on genuine faith, on pure uh, worship, um, and, 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 and which results in our life with good works, okay? It's not the opposite. James offers us three parts of pure worship tonight. And the first thing that we find here is we find an abstinence. This is an abstinence of speaking evil of others. Verse 26 again tells us, If, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but the seed of his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Do you guys know what vain means? Empty. It means empty. Pot, cold, empty is what it means. So, you know, you know people say, OMG, and they'll still use the Lord's name in vain. When you use the Lord's name as a byproduct or a swear word, that is in vain. It means it's empty. When you call out on the Lord in prayer or praise or worship, that is not in vain. It makes sense to you? You see, guys, we are to restrain our tongues. We are to bridle our speech. The words which comes out of our mouth from speaking evil of others. Let me ask you this question tonight. Just take it on board. Don't switch me off. I'm not the telly, All right? No more votes tonight. But are you known for compliments or complaints? Now, don't dismiss the question, guys. When someone is expecting your company... Are they wondering what fine, kind, uplifting words that you're going to say? Or are they expecting a complaint? A moan and a mouth filled with negativity? Guys, in either case, what people expect from us, that's usually what they get. And if you are a complainer, guys, I'm going to say this. In my experience, those who complain about everything are the ones who do the least. Okay? Uh, You know, I... I, uh, the filter in my, in my mind, the filter in my head works over time. Um, because there's times when people are doing this right here, I, I want to cut them like a knife. And I will tell them real quick, I like when people come to me and complain about what I'm doing, I say, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. So when you want to get off your ever wide horizon and do something, then maybe we can talk about your complaints. But other than that, I'm not going to work on it, I'm not going to worry about it. Guys, if people expect you to complain, I highly doubt that you've ever let them down. But, but my friend, if that be the case, your religion is vain. A religion which hasn't changed you is a religion which hasn't saved you. Think about that for just a second. My dad always said that a drunk man's words was a sober man's thoughts. You know, the first thing that alcohol does is it messes with your inhibitions. It, address, it affects the frontal lobe, and you do and you say things that you otherwise would not have done. That's what it does. Whether it right, wrong, or different. Whether, whether listen, whether you like to hear that or not, that's a truth. That's a scientific fact. So you know, as my mama would say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Amen. And not that I advocate smoking or pipes. All right, but I, <laughs> my parents got some really some. Anyway. The Bible tells us, it says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, this isn't a verse pertaining to alcohol, all right? Although it can, because if you're not sober, you can't do what you're supposed to do. Guys, to be sober is to be, is to be clear thinking, is to be in your right mind, to be aware, to be alert of your surroundings. Peter goes on to tell us, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. So if our mind is clouded by, by envy of others. Okay, remember in the opening statement, you know, that, that James has said, put away, you know, filthiness, put away the superfluity and naughtiness and such and such. But if our mind gets, is clouded by the envy of others, and uh, we can't be awake, we can't be alert of our surroundings because we're distracted. We must have a sober mind in order to be vigilant, to be aware of what's going on around us. When I, when I was a, a new pastor, I was 29 years old. And an old man uh, recommended to me to, to read as many books as I could on wolves. I thought, okay, you know, and you know, I, I'll read a book. If you tell me to read a book, I'll read, I love reading. And I did, I started studying wolves. And I remember thinking, I got about halfway through like the third book. And I'm like, in the world am I reading about wolves, man? And, uh, you know, I, but I trusted him. He was a good friend, became a really, really good friend. Um, I was probably five, six books in, and I, I thought I was wolf, wolf expert by now, okay? I thought I was training for a zoologist's job. I'm just going to, now I'm going to go train wolves, you know. I rang him up and I said, listen, man, I've read every book that I can get a hold of on wolves. And, man, I know about how they travel, know how they work, how they breed. I mean, good night, man. I'm a wolf expert. He goes, well, you're not an expert. He goes, you just educated. I said, I'll take that. I said, brother, I'm not questioning you or anything, but why on earth did I need to read about wolves? He says, son, as a pastor, you better know, you're going to have to recognize wolves when they come into the flock. You know where wolves come? Wolves come where sheep are. If, if a wolf never shows up, there ain't no sheep there. I learned that. But the other thing was, is I learned how wolves attack. And what are the things that we need to recognize in our life if we're going to be sober-minded, if we're going to be alert, if we're going to be aware in our Christian life? We're going to have to face the fact that if we get distracted by X, Y, Z, that right there is not what is going to, where the attack is going to come from. Wolves hunt in packs. And the wolf that you see, this is, now when you're in the woods and the timber wolf is there, which we don't have any in this country, I don't think, and I think they just came back from extinction. Anyway, why you bring something that, I mean, those things are this big, man. But anyway. The wolf you see is not the one you worry about. It's the pack that's on the side flanking you. And my friend, our life is just like that. Our life is just like that. We need to face the facts that, guys, in our life, we need to understand that if we're not careful... We're going to focus ourselves onto something that's going to distract us, that's going to keep us from being sober-minded, that's going to keep us away from that abstinence in our life, and then that envy, that bitterness, that whatever it may be, is going to come forth. I want to give you a verse. I, 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 there's a, this verse, and then we'll come back to that one there in just a minute. First Thessalonians chapter 5:22 says, "Abstain from all appearance of evil." Every single day, guys, reputations and lives are ruined. And it's worse today with social media than it ever has been. I've never in my... What used to happen in the corners and whispers here and there in a locker room, man, it's on social media and a million people are seeing it within seconds. it's an atrocity. But every day, reputation and lives are ruined because of a simple failure to avoid even the appearance of evil. As a Christian, Paul's first letter writing to the the Church of Thessaloniki, his very first letter, he tells them, abstain from all appearances of evil. Is it fair? No, it probably isn't. Are there things that I don't do that seemingly are innocent or places I don't go that are completely innocent, but there's a chance that the appearance may be evil? You better believe it. You better believe it. I got more at stake. I got a family, I got two churches, I got friends, I have loved ones, I got people that depend on me, I got people that call me up for guidance and advice. And if I show up in the wrong crowd, the wrong time, the wrong place and do it, and, and I'm doing nothing, the interpretation of the of the, of the camera and what people's interpretation of you becomes their reality. Is it fair? No. Is it real? Absolutely. It's the reality that we have to live with. And you you know what, man? You're all welcome. You have the liberty. You can say, it's my life. I'll do whatever I want to. But I'm going to ask you, to what avail? To what purpose? What are you trying to prove by avoiding the simple abstinence, the the abstaining from all appearances of evil? What are you trying to avoid in your life? Everyday people's character is being assassinated just because of the envy of others. Outright lies and assumptions. And as believers, guys, we just... I say it like this, You just got to be better. And the temptation is to fight back. Trust me, I, you know, you want to fight back to bridle the tongue. This is the temptation in the Christian life, whereas the, the wolves of bitterness, the wolves of envy, the wolves of covetousness, these things will cause people, cause people to speak evil of others. And, and when we get distracted by bitterness, guys, evil speaking attacks and it wins a victory simply because of our distraction, not because of something that they did. They weren't better, it wasn't bigger than us, it wasn't stronger than us, but we got distracted and therefore we lost the battle. And once we lose the battle, we lose it by losing the sobriety of our mind. And those words, which may only be our thoughts, come out of our mouth. I want to go back to this verse here where Peter says. Uh, go back here just for a second. He says, "But the end of all things are at hand." Now, watch what. It, look at the last part of this verse. Give me a sec. Boom. Ah, oh, good night, man. Don't you love that? He says, "But the end of all things are at hand. Be ye therefore sober." Well, forget it, guys. You can take my word for it, right? <laughs> He says, be uh, you therefore sober and watch unto prayer. But, but the reality is that the days are close, and we do not want to waste our time in petty issues, robbing us of the peace which passes all understanding. Guys, we cannot have peace in our life and pure worship if we're speaking evil of others, even if we're just following back. We're following back what someone else done. So secondly tonight, let's see where on earth we are for you. There we go. Action. So James speaks of an action, and this is a practical concern for others. And, and guys, I, this is where I like to park. I know, I know there, there's a lot of negative that we heard in the front end. There's a lot of stuff that was probably sharp and, and, and kind of a gut punch and this and that. I don't mind doing the gut punches. I, and I, I don't, they're part of it. You can't have positive, not negative. If you don't believe me, take the negative off your, uh, your battery out there in the car and see if it cranks up. It's not going to crank. So, I mean, you've got to have both of them. But this is where I would love to be for a long time. It's the action. It's doing something. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows and, and their affliction. But the pure worship is reflected in practical acts of concern for those that are in need. Worship is more than attending church, and uh, it's more than prayer, it's more than praise. Pure worship, pure religion is seen and known in the exercising of practical acts of concern for others. You come to church, and this is where you get fed spiritually. You go out that door. One of the reasons we have that banner out there, number one, it says make a difference. Number two, it says you're now entering the mission field. You take what you have fed upon, take what has strengthened you, and you go out there and you put it to work in others, those that are in need. And you say, preacher, I don't know anybody in need. Come to the first person on that street. I promise you they're in need of something. You would be amazed if you would just open up an opportunity of a conversation with the people in your life, those who are around you immediately, how many needs people have in this world today. We just don't take the chance. We don't take the opportunity to sit down and listen to them. Guys, don't just walk up and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Don't do that. How you doing? And wait for a response, man. Have a chat. Spend some time. This is what you get in the front row, you know. But, I mean, spend some time with people. I talked about pure worship. I talked about the word worship coming alongside of of, of a sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. It costs Jesus Christ everything to save our soul. It cost my friend to, to, to step out on a, on, on a limb with me over and over and over talking about Jesus and going seeing his pastor. It took a, a, an afternoon of a pastor sitting in his office and his desk to tell me about Jesus Christ, which I guarantee you, he had other things to do. Now that I'm a pastor, I know how busy it is. I just thought, hey, he's just sitting in his office. And I got saved that day. It comes with a cost, man. Concern is rooted with compassion. Compassion is to be moved uh, in in one's bowels with sympathy to experience someone else's misfortune. It's easy to say, oh man, that's pretty bad. That's terrible. I hate to see that. It's another thing to do this, to get down with them. We were chatting with a guy in that house we stayed. He was an Afghan veteran. He was a bilateral above-the-knee amputee and a uh, unilateral BE amputee, below-the-elbow amputee. And uh, we were talking about different types of prostheses and different types of this, different types They've Talked for a long time. And he's an ambassador for this home. And he's doing a lot of great work for the home that's for the soldiers, soldiers' families. And um, one thing I, and this comes from the practitioner side of it. If you ever notice when I talk, like when, with Cooper, when I talk to Cooper, I do this. I, I get down on his level. When I talk to Eleanor, I come down to the floor. I know I play around, they fist bump and I fall back, but I'm doing this to get on their level. This guy told me the other day he was talking about there's a type of there's a type of prosthesis that you uh, will will put on someone who's a bilateral amputee. We used to put them on them, and they're called stubbies. They have no knees and they're they're just short, but it enables the patient to get to where their hip flexors can can get. Str- um, stretched out, because there's going to be hip flexor contracture, to strengthen their glutes so that they can push forward in order to, to, to ambulate, and just simply to get their balance, but they're real short. And one of the things he mentioned to me, and I, we've always known this as, as practitioners, he I just couldn't stand people looking down on me, because he, he was six foot one before his accident, but you only, you're, only, you're basically almost on the floor. He I couldn't stand people looking down at me. We only, in the States, we only use them for preparatory and rehab, meaning in the parallel bars. And guess where I am as a practitioner when a patient's in the parallel bars. I'm not stood above them going, come on. I'm in my little roller scooter thing sitting down so I'm eye level. Guys, if you're going to make a difference in somebody's life, if you're going to exercise compassion in someone's life, you're going to have bowels of sympathy that is willing to experience that misfortune. And that means you've got to get down to their level sometimes. I don't mean you go sin with them. It doesn't mean you go out on the town with them. You ain't got to get dirty to get the, get the prodigal son out of the pig pen. But you got to come to them somehow, way, and it's going to cost you something. It's one thing to see somebody in need. It's another thing to be moved into acts of concern toward them. Again, we talked about Abraham. Worship is going to cost you something. Get down on someone's level. Speak to them. Spend some time with them. That's the action that we see that as James is is speaking of here. Lastly, not only do we see this action, James taps this thing, this whole thing. He talks about, you know, visiting people in need, helping people in need. But then there's an avoidance he gives us. He gives us an avoidance in verse 2. And this is an avoidance of willful sin. Before we get into this, guys, no one's going to be sinless, sinless or sinless perfection in this world. It'll never happen. You still have the old man in the flesh with you. But he's speaking about willful sin. He says, and keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure worship is going to lead you to avoid, to be pure from sin. Not sinless, but be able to avoid it. I used this illustration this morning. I hope it makes sense to you. You know, our trolleys over here, they have all four wheels turned, don't they? And um, I, I'm a person of order. Things need to be in a certain order for my brain to, to, to function optimally. I'm not saying it can't function. Uh, one of the biggest issues I had down at the gym was us lining things up. And, and there were, there's you know, we don't have the boxes that go on the one side. And I'm telling you, man, I, I struggled with that for a long time. And, I mean, even Rob's like, I know what he, he's like, I don't know what the problem is. And I was like, I don't know what it is either. And finally, he put two and two together. And he said, is it because there's not two boxes over there? I said, maybe. But I don't like that last lane doing this. I just don't like that. So if you go to the grocery stores, if you go to Morrison's, we go to Tesco, go to Sainsbury's, wherever they make me go, you know, what I would like personally, I got my little trolley, you got your little trolley, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. All right? I'll be over here, you stay over there. And we just go along, we get our stuff. I don't know where anything is. I don't know where anything in in the stores here. Uh, I don't know where they are in the States. I had to call her one time. I was in Walmart. She was over here. I had to call her to ask her what lane something was on. I don't know where anything is. But I do know this, even me looking around aimlessly in Tesco or Morrisons, I'm going to stay in my lane, amen. But people don't do that, do they? It's like kicking over an anthill. You know, they're cutting in here, they're cutting in there, they're doing this, they're doing it. You ever caught your ankle? You ever caught your ankle on one of the side of those carts, man? Man, you were talking, ready to fight someone. Oh, it hurts. Even if you do it to yourself, right? So what are you doing when you're, the, when you're going through the store? When you're going through, you're dodging this person, you're dodging that person. And this is what we do. We go back and forth, dodging people, forgetting what we're trying to get in the store. But I wonder if we put as much effort in our life to avoid sin as much as we do the ankle crushers at Morrison. If we put as much effort in dodging the people in the grocery store, if we put much effort in, in, into avoiding sin in our life, think about what we would become. Think about how our life would be. God's looking for a practical type of godliness. And it takes a compassionate interest in others uh, and to keep our own life clean. It's better defined as acts of grace and a walk of separation. And this is what happens when we, we have a pure worship. This is what happens when we have actions, when we uh, have the abstinence of evil speaking and the avoidance of willful sin. I know we've hammered this verse over the past couple of weeks, faith or action, but I just keep coming back to it. If you want to have this pure worship in your life, if you want to apply this avoidance to willful sin, Philippians 4.8 saying finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure and he goes on at the bottom he says think on these things if you want to have this difference in your life if you want to have this pure worship this compassion for others these action in your days the avoidance of willful sin you're going to have to think on the things that are pure One of my goals this year is to get out of my head. I am the world's worst enemy. That's what happens when you're an only child, you entertain yourself, okay? When you become an only child adult, you're in your head fighting tooth and nail. And I'm telling you guys, we have to get out of our head. We gotta be where our feet are, and we gotta think on things that are true, honest, just, things that are pure. Our, Our new identity in Christ is evident in the way that we take care of one another. If I think of things that are true, just, honest, and lovely, and pure, it's going to lead me to want to take care of you, to want to help you, to want to lift up the phone or send that text message and say, just want to check in and see how you're doing. Reach even to the most frail and vulnerable in our society. You know, who are the most needful in your life who need help? Pure worship is the heart and the hands of those who care and love one another in a way that Jesus Christ loves us. John four twenty four, quoting Jesus Christ, says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You cannot worship him in truth and not have actions in your life. You cannot worship him in truth and not apply abstinence in your life. You cannot worship him in truth and not have an avoidance of willful sin in your life. And that's where it all boils down. The way that God views and defines pure worship It's when his character is reflected through our practical lives, which are exemplified by our abstinence, our actions, and our avoidance. Guys, this is the challenge which should guide us how to live before God and before mankind. But I promise you, if you take this and you apply this in your life, just this simple thought, and you live before God and before mankind in this manner, with this purity of thought, this purity of wisdom, this purity of worship tonight people will see the difference in you. People will begin to come to you people will come to you and go man it seems like something's different here's what I'm going through you will not have to ask anymore because they'll be attracted to a quality that you're possessing and that is reflection of who and what God is when you bow your heads tonight Father, thank you, Lord, for who and what you are and all you've done. Thank you for the message this evening and the thought tonight. I thank you for your pure word, dear God. I thank you for giving us something that we can sink our teeth into. And I hope apply into our lives, Lord, better and best in the manner that will be pleasing to thee. We love you and thank you for who you are and what you are. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I do hope and pray that teaching and preaching the word of God is a blessing to your heart tonight. Stand.